Y'all may be seated. We are breaking away from our Acts series. If you're familiar with Harbin's, you know that we believe in preaching expository messages verse by verse through the Bible. And we've been in Acts for quite a while now. And um, we are going to break away from Acts for this particular Sunday because it is Orphan Sunday. Normally, Deemer comes up and reads our passage of Scripture that we're uh, preaching from that day, and then we uh, will exposit that passage. But today I've got several passages of Scripture I want us to turn to. So keep your Bibles handy this morning. I would like for you to actually turn to the Scriptures as, uh, we, get, as we get to them. Um, the first one you can go to is James 1, 27. Like I said, I was going to just continue through our Acts series. Oh, and John's back here letting me know that if anybody needs a Bible, is there anyone in here that needs a Bible? Just raise your hand. Uh, John will bring you one this morning to have. Um, and if you don't have a Bible at home, you can just keep that Bible. All right. I think we're all right, John. As I mentioned, I was planning on preaching through Acts, but God interrupted my plans this week, um, as he does all the time. I don't know if that says something about me, but uh, it seems my plans get interrupted frequently. And... Um, but I really was not at ease with the message, um, although I felt like it was, you know, it was coming together, but I didn't feel good about it. And then sort of things were coming together, and I, you know, Margaret was coming this week. I got an email from one of our church families this week saying they were heading out to, um, uh, to start the process or get the, keep the process going for adopting a child from Russia. And, uh, and I knew this was Orphan Sunday, and I was just going to make a mention about Orphan Sunday. And I was talking with Heather this week, and she said, are you preaching on Orphan on, on on adoption this Sunday. I said, you know what? I, I need to. I really do. So I changed gears yesterday. And, uh, and we're, we're going to talk about adoptions. We're going to talk about orphan care this morning. The, the title of today's message is Orphan Care and the Gospel. Orphan Care and the Gospel. If you'll remember at the beginning of the year, we preached a message on this passage that you've turned to in James. James chapter 1 verse 27 says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The title of that message was Real Religion, Authentic Religion. Now religion is practices, outward actions you do that show an inward devotion to God. And you hear people say all the time, well, I don't want religion, I want a relationship, which is true. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and people don't want to just practice empty religion. But God does talk about actions, things we can do to demonstrate the reality that we have a changed heart. Those actions, according to James 1.27, is this, to take care of orphans, to take care of widows, and to keep ourselves unstained from the world. So in that message entitled Real Religion that we did at the beginning of the year, uh, we also brought to light three different ministry partnerships we were going to have this year, which is with, number one, the Pregnancy Resource Center of Gwinnett County. Uh, number two, a partnership with the Georgia Baptist Children's Home, particularly the, the Willett um, Cottage there, uh, which is a cottage for boys at the Georgia Baptist Children's Home. Thirdly, a partnership with Life Song for Orphans. Um, Life Song is a ministry um, for orphans and for adoption that does a lot of really neat things. And our particular partnership was with a, an orphanage in Liberia called Master's Home of Champions run by Emmanuel and Ramona Jones. 
there in Liberia. And Emmanuel and Ramona are Liberian. And our U.S. contacts are Keith and Kay Knapp. And we also, through LifeSong, started an adoption fund here at our church, which has some money in it, but we still would like to get that adoption fund up a little bit more to about the level of 5000 so that we can be helping families adopt. So here we are on Adoption Sunday. And a lot's happened this year. We've moved into a building, um, and moving into the building was quite an, an extraordinary thing anyway. If you're here and you don't know our story, this building was given to us, and this land was given to us. We, we didn't pay anything for anything that's in this building, maybe a few things here or there. Even the chairs you're sitting in were given to us. And so we praise God for that, but at the same time, being a small church, there were lots of challenges of getting into a building and moving into a building. And so I feel to a certain degree, maybe we lost a little bit of our focus on that real religion that we talked about at the beginning of the year. So this is a good time to bring us back to focus here on Orphan Sunday. So here we are. It's time to refocus again on what we've been called to do. It's time to refocus again, getting our hearts on what real religion is. What are these outward acts? What are these things that we can do that show our inward devotion to God? You see, God loves it when we do things that bring Him glory, that come out of an outflow of what He's already doing in our heart. What God hates is empty, vain religious practices. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1, if you would. Isaiah chapter 1. In Isaiah chapter 1, God deals with this problem that the Israelites always struggled with, which was vain, empty religious practices devoid of any true meaning. And these words were written to the Israelites, written to the nation of Israel, but they could be written to us as well because we fall into the same patterns of practicing vain, empty rituals and religious practices, things that are devoid of meaning because we're not really doing Anything in this life to make a difference. We just make ourselves feel good because we can go through the motions. And so in Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 11, it says this. God speaking says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. What's real religion to God? James 1.27 is basically saying the exact same things Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 17 are saying, what does God desire from us? Showing up on Sunday, raising your hands during the songs, singing with all your might, giving some money in the offering, these are great things. But what does God really want from us? He wants from us 
to practice a type of religion that makes a difference in the world. A type of religion that affects lives, that invests ourselves into people's lives. You know what? It's not hard for you guys to show up here and sit in these nice, comfortable seats that were given to us and do what we do on Sunday. There's no difficulty here. This is easy. What God requires is real sacrifice. Giving of ourselves in such a way that we're making a difference in the world. Particularly a difference in the lives of those who are the most vulnerable in our world. And who are the most vulnerable in our world? It hasn't changed since the days of Isaiah or the days of Jesus. Children, the orphan, those who are being oppressed, those whose rights are not being protected. In Jesus' world, the lowest ladder in society was that of a slave, the lowest rung on the ladder. The next one up was a child. And sometimes a child actually came below a slave. Matter of fact, a Roman father... When, when, when his wife had a child, they could bring the child and set it at the feet of a, of a father in the, in, the, in the Roman Empire during those days. And he could decide, based upon how the child looked, if he wanted to keep it or not. And he, if, if it was a girl, he might not want it at all. But if it was a boy and maybe his head didn't look the right size or he just didn't look quite right, maybe his pigmentation wasn't the right color, he could just say, I, I don't want him. And they would take the child and they would throw it on the trash heaps. And one of the things the Christian church became known for in the first century was that the Christians would go out and take these babies off the trash heaps and adopt them. They would adopt the trash of society and realize it was a treasure and treat it as a treasure. It's the same religion that you and me are called to today. And that, that, that plays itself out in a lot of ways. It plays itself out in the way we view life in the church. It plays itself out in the way we give our money. What do we, what do we invest our monies in at the church? It plays itself out in all sorts of ways. What do we do with our free time? It plays itself out in so many different ways in our life if we're allowing God to use us in the way he desires. Not to be empty, vain people that just do religious practices, but people filled with the love of God that outflows in true religion, true practices that make a difference in the world. God has always had a soft spot for the orphan and for the widow. It's all over Scripture. Let me give you a couple of verses. Deuteronomy 10.8 says that he, God, executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. Psalm 68.4 says, Sing to the Lord, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. It's part of God, according to Psalm 68, it's part of God's nature to care for orphans and widows. That's just part of who he is. And if we are Christians and he is in us, then it should be part of who we are. It shouldn't be something we had to be stirred up to. It should happen. Because the God of the universe resides within our hearts through his Holy Spirit. And therefore, he is putting his very nature inside of us. And therefore, a love for orphans and a care for widows should just flow out of us. And a desire to protect life should come out of us. That should be who we are because that's who God is. Therefore, caring for orphans should be a priority in our church. It should be a priority in any church, and there is plenty of work for us to do. 
And there's plenty of opportunity. Let me give you some stats. Margaret gave you some stats earlier. Let me just give you some stats this morning. I've seen two different numbers, so I'm going to go with the higher number, but it really doesn't make a difference. There are either between 143 or 145 million orphans in our world. If all the orphans were moved to the country of Mexico, you mentioned something like this earlier, okay? Mexico's population would more than double. That's how many orphans are in the world. Over 16 million children are newly orphaned each year. Each year. 16 million. So take that 145 and every year just keep adding to it. 16 million. There are approximately 17.5 million orphans who are between the age of 0 and 5. 47 million orphans who are between the age of 6 and 11. 79 million orphans who are between the age of 12 and 17. 87.6 million orphans live in Asia. 43.4 million orphans live in sub-Saharan Africa. There are as many orphaned and vulnerable children in Ethiopia as there are people in the greater New York City area. How many orphans are just in Ethiopia? 12.4 million orphans live in Latin America and the Caribbean. Almost 1.5 children live in public care in Central and Eastern Europe. Okay, they're a version of of, uh, of foster care or the government's system to take care of the children. What about our country? That's our world. What about the United States? Well, okay, and I'm not sure what stat you gave earlier, but what I have was that more than 800,000 children pass through our country's foster care system each year. 800,000 children pass through our country's foster system each year. There are half a million children in our foster care system right now. 129,000 of those foster children are waiting to be adopted from foster care right now. Approximately 25,000 children will age out of foster care this year. Will age out. That means they turn 18 and they're let go. I don't have the statistics here. But it's pretty sobering when you look at what happens to the kids that age out of foster care. Margaret could probably tell you more. She probably knows more. But a large percentage of those children, their lives just go down the tubes. They don't get the education they need. They don't go to college. They end up not working jobs. They end up homeless in a lot of cases. It's easy to be overwhelmed by these stats. I am. It's very easy to be overwhelmed by these stats, to be saddened by these pictures, to be moved by the videos. Okay, that, that, that's easy. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you become desensitized to it. You become desensitized. You just, your mind becomes numbed. I can't handle this. And your mind just becomes numb and dulled. To all this, to the sheer scope and magnitude of this problem. So let me say something this morning. The pictures, the videos, the stats will never be sufficient to motivate us to care for orphans. Let me say that again. The videos, the stats, the pictures will never be sufficient to motivate us 
to care for orphans. We will never care for orphans the way we should simply based upon our guilty consciences. That's not sufficient. So I want to give you a couple of points this morning. I don't have them on the screen like usual. Uh, I usually have the, the points on the screen. And so that's not there this morning. So I'm just going to say to you the points that are in your notes. But here's the first point I want us to make this morning. We cannot be a church that cares for orphans if we do not fully understand our place in the gospel story. Let me say that again. We cannot be a church that cares for orphans if we do not fully understand our place in the gospel story. Christian, do you understand who you are? Do you understand who you were? Do you understand that you were once alienated, separated from God, rebelling against God, a sinner, unclean, unworthy of love, unworthy of his attention, deserving of hell, deserving of eternal wrath? Do you understand that, Christian? Do you believe that? Do you understand that you did nothing and you can do nothing to earn God's favor? Do you understand that you can do nothing to draw him to you, to merit your salvation? Do you understand that? Do you believe that? Do you know that you were enslaved to sin, unable to break free from its shackles? Do you know that you were a son of the devil, imaging him instead of imaging God? Do you know that you were set free from bondage, not by the will of the flesh, nor by the will of man, but by the God's unconditional grace? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you know that you were adopted? Adopted. You were chosen and brought into a household, into a family. You were made a child of the king, a child of God, a son, an heir. Do you know that? Do you believe that this morning? You see, Christian, if we don't get our gospel right, we won't get adoption right. If we don't get our gospel right, we're going to miss the boat on adoption because we can try to motivate ourselves through guilt or through whatever else. But you know what? The main motivating factor for a true believer is an understanding and an embracing and a moving within their heart of what the gospel has done. That's what enables and empowers adoption. And only when churches get serious about the gospel and preaching the gospel, and proclaiming the gospel, and saying, believer, this gospel message isn't just something, yeah, I understand right here. It should change you, radically change you, because what God did is simply amazing. That's what the gospel has accomplished in our hearts. If we don't get our gospel right, we won't get adoption. We just won't get it. You, you won't understand it. It won't make sense. Am I saying that people who aren't Christians can't adopt? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if their motivation doesn't come out of the gospel, then their adoption does not bring glory to God the way it should. We cannot be a church that cares for orphans if we do not fully understand our place in the gospel story. I want... To take us on a timeline journey through redemptive history. And I need to pause real quick here because I see that I knocked over my coffee and I want to make sure it's not getting on our carpet. There we go. All right, sorry. 
I want to take us through a timeline journey of adoption, of redemptive history. And I want you, as we go through this timeline of redemptive history, I want you to see how adoption is the unifying theme throughout redemptive history. So here's what I want us to understand. We cannot be a church. This is your next, this is your letter A under the first point on your notes. We cannot be a church that cares for orphans if we do not fully understand our place in the gospel story. A, understand that our adoption was decided unconditionally before creation in Christ. Our adoption was decided in Christ unconditionally before creation. It preceded creation. Your adoption. Ephesians 1, 3. Turn there if you would. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. You had to keep your fingers going this morning because I'm going to be hopping all over the place. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. says this, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, the key verse. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, verse 5, in love he predestined us for what? Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Do you understand what this means, this passage of Scripture? It means that you were unconditionally, not based upon anything you did good or bad, but solely based upon God's purposes of election, you were chosen by God. God adopted you, adopted children. If you are in him, then you are his child. God adopted children before creating the universe. Before God said, let there be light, he said, let there be children of mine. Before he created anything, he adopted children, sons to be specific. I think Deemer, when he gave us a... I don't know if you preached this or if you just talked to me about it. I don't know. But talk about that, that word sons. We we're tempted to take the word sons and just give it the generic meaning that we sometimes say, well, that just involves, that's men and women, sons. No, no, no. Paul uses, when he talks about adoption, a masculine word. Why? Because the male children in Jesus' day were the ones who were the heirs, who received the rights of adoption who received the rights of sonship. The women didn't. So Paul's not being sexist by using a word that simply refers to sons. What he's saying is men, women, Jew, Gentile, whoever, we're all sons. We're all heirs. Every single one of us. So he's actually using a more inclusive word than we could ever imagine when he specifies that we are male sons of God. We are heirs to a great inheritance. What does this say? This says that adoption is important. As John Piper said, it says that adoption is greater than the universe. If God created adoption first, 
It's greater than the universe. This is a big deal. We get up and we talk on Orphan Sunday about adoption. We're not just talking about something that says, oh yeah, we're talking about a big deal. This is important. In love, he predestined us for adoption. God's love for us was a love that existed before we existed. That means that your salvation wasn't some divine afterthought or part of some plan B that God created after Adam and Eve fell in the garden and messed everything up for everybody. Your adoption and everything that had to occur in order for you to be adopted, including the fall, was in God's mind before the world ever began. And so, adoption is important. You understand what else this means? It means that you were chosen unconditionally before the world began, okay? Before you did anything good or bad, as I mentioned earlier, God chose you through His adopting grace. Romans 5, 6, you don't have to turn to this one. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still what? You know the verse, sinners. Christ died for us. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. We were adopted not based upon how good we were or when we decided to stop sinning or when we decided, hey, I'm going to come to God now and try to stop sinning. We were chosen while we were still trash. He chose us. Don't think of adoption, don't think of God's adoption in, in, like orphan, little orphan Annie. Kids, have you ever seen Little Orphan Annie? Has any of y'all seen the movie or the play? Only Margaret. Okay, Margaret, I'm talking to you here for the next few. Oh, MK. All right. There's some that have seen Annie. Okay. All right, so, so Little Orphan Annie, she goes to Daddy Warbucks. You cannot have this image of adoption. This is not God. I'm telling you what it's not, okay? God is not Daddy Warbucks, a stingy Republican, all right? That's not, that's, not daddy, that's not God. And, and our adoption doesn't happen like this. You see, we're not just all cute with curly hair and kind of grow on God. And, and that and the God looks at us and at first he's like, you know, ah, oh, his wrath, you know, Old Testament God. And then, oh, we kind of, all right, we've done some good things and we kind of grow on him a bit. And, oh, we're pretty cute, you know, in that little red dress and everything. And, and. And God's heart begins to melt. And he adopts us into his family. That is not the picture of adoption in the Bible. You see, that's where our human fallibility makes it difficult to really image adoption the way God did it. I mean, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. In our second placement with Safe Families, when, when the kids were so fascinated with the water thing that came out of our refrigerator that they would fill it up and then dump it in the middle of the kitchen and then fill it up again and dump it in the middle of the kitchen. I, I was, they weren't growing on me. You see, we're like Daddy Warbucks. We're open to adoption so long as it's a good kid. So long as it won't mess up my lifestyle. 
But that's not the way God did it. I'm going to read you a passage from um, this book here. Um, This is a book written by Russell Moore. Uh, Deemer turned me on to this book, and it's it's one of these books you read it and you go, wow. You just go, wow. Uh, This is called Adopted for Life. There may be no other theologian that I know of in America right now that's as focused on adoption and has, has laid it out so clearly as how it fits with the gospel than Russell Moore. And he is a professor up at Southern Seminary. And I know one of Deemer's favorite professors and just a great guy. He writes this. Imagine for a moment that you're adopting a child. As you meet with a social worker in the last stage of the process, you're told that this 12-year-old has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was three. He persists in burning things and attempted repeatedly to skin kittens alive. He's acted out sexually, the social worker says, although she doesn't really fill you in on what that means. She continued with a little family history. The boy's father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and great-great-grandfather all had histories of violence, ranging from spousal abuse to serial murder. Each of them ended their life in the same way, by death, by suicide, each found hanging from a rope of blankets in his respective prison cell. Think for a moment. Would you want this child? If you did adopt him, wouldn't you keep an eye on him as he played with your other children? Wouldn't you watch him nervously as he um, looked at the butcher knife on the kitchen table? Would you leave the room as he watched a movie on television with your daughter? Well, he's you. He's you. He's me. That's what the gospel is telling us. You see, our birth father had fangs. And left to ourselves, we will show ourselves to be as serpentine as he is. When I first read that, I highlighted it. I just wrote, wow. Wow. Doesn't that put it into perspective? Because actually, we're worse than that. Because we are rebels against a holy God. Every single person who's ever lived is a rebel, an insurrectionist against the holy God. And even if we've only committed just a few little sins in our life, maybe one white lie, one white lie is a holy, is a huge offense to a holy God. Matter of fact, it's an infinite offense to an infinite holy God and it deserves infinite wrath in a place called hell. So we're actually worse than this kid pictured in this story here. You and I. And we've got to understand that. Or we don't get adoption. And we run away from the hard cases. And we leave those 12-year-olds to flutter for themselves and hope something happens. We don't get it if we don't get our own depravity. And we won't embrace adoption in the manner that we need to if we don't understand the way God has embraced us. We're not like Orphan Annie. We're not adopted because we were cute or lovable or anything worthy. We were totally unworthy, totally incapable of loving God, undeserving of any love from Him, yet He chose us for adoption. And He gets all the glory. If we think in any sort of way that we were somewhat worthy, well, you know, I went to church. Or I 
prayed a prayer or I got baptized. If we take any of the credit, we try to slice off any of the glory for us, we become glory grabbers and we don't understand the gospel to its full degree. God's not willing to give up any percentage of the glory. And that's really for our good. Because you know what? If we give ourselves the glory, we're going to disappoint ourselves. But if God gets all the glory, guess what? We're going to get more joy and more um, happiness out of giving him glory. The gospel is amazing when we understand the implications of unconditional election. God gets every ounce of the glory. We don't get a slice of it. And it's awesome. And it brings you great joy. If you're struggling with the doctrine of election, which we preached on a few weeks back, and I'm glad to say most of y'all came back after we preached about that. But if you're struggling with the, fitting it into your logical framework, fight. Fight. Fight to embrace what, not what Steve says, what the Scripture says about election. Fight. Because if you fight for that, you'll be fighting for your joy and you'll be fighting for God's glory. Ask God to help you overcome the barriers to embracing this glorious doctrine. When I was um, in college reading through Romans 7, 8, and 9, and then stopping and rewinding and saying, did I really read that? 7, 8, and 9, and I rewound it again. I said, wait a second here. Is Romans 7, 8, 9 really say what the black ink on white paper says it says? And I came to conclusions about God's nature and God's choices that I just had to rest in. And I tell you what, resting in the doctrine of God's free, sovereign grace has been more freeing than anything I could have ever imagined. And it brings more joy than almost any doctrine I could ever imagine in my life. That's our place in the gospel story. Undeserving, wretched sons of Satan, enemies of God, rebels, insurrectionists, sinners against an infinitely holy God. Yet by his mercy and by his grace, according to his purpose of election, he adopted us. So we cannot be a church that cares for orphans if we do not fully understand our place in the gospel story. But we also must understand B. Let's go to your next letter there on your notes. We must understand that our adoption has been purchased fully at the cross by Christ. Our adoption is a done deal. We were chosen for adoption before the foundation of the world. And the transaction, the legal transaction for our adoption occurred at the cross. Turn to Galatians if you would. Galatians chapter 4. So, Galatians is right before Ephesians that we were just in. Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 3 and following. It says this. In the same way we also... When we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, in other words, when God had the time set, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, that means to purchase, to buy, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So God purchased us. He redeemed us so that his purpose of redemption 
was so that we might be adopted sons. God sent Jesus in his timing to adopt us as sons, to pay the price, to carry out the transaction. So the the aim of the purpose, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ is first of all to glorify God and how? By bringing sons into his family. Redemption, this adoption was legally accomplished at the cross. It was a legal transaction. We were enslaved to sin, children of Satan. Therefore, a payment had to be made. A payment, a transaction had to occur on the cross. The death of Christ. Christ died once for all, the godly for the ungodly, to purchase us, to make us his brothers, to make us God's sons, heirs. And that purchase cannot be undone. Matter of fact, the purchase included a seal. Okay, the, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 1.22, he put his seal on us, giving us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And, and in this passage here in Galatians, it says that it's the spirit of his son crying, what? Abba, Father. That's the spirit that God has put into us. The guarantee, the seal, the evidence that we are indeed sons is the presence of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ that enables us to be covenant keepers, to keep our covenant, because we can't on our own. It enables us to love God the way we should and to come to Him as our Daddy. A spirit of love for God that calls God Daddy. Guess the way you could translate that. A spirit of love for God that calls God Daddy. The only other place you see anyone say, Abba, Father. Other than this passage right here about adoption, and then Romans talks about adoption as well, and uses the word Abba Father. The only other place it's used is by who? Jesus Christ. In Mark 14, 36, at the Garden of Gethsemane, when he says this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This was a radical prayer. You see, the Jews were used to calling God Father, but not Abba. You can call God Father, but not Daddy. You see, if my children started coming to me and saying, Father, could we uh, watch some television? I would say something has seriously messed up in their brains. They come and they say, Dad, Daddy. Because there's an intimacy there. There's a level of union there. <laughs> intimacy that, that, that comes out when you say, Daddy. And that's what God's put into our heart. Not that we know how to say daddy, but that Christ knows how to say daddy. It's the spirit of Christ in us that makes us say daddy. This was a radical prayer, as I mentioned. Only Jesus, only a son could say this. And only those whom the son purchased. Jesus is our elder brother. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He gives us his spirit. Our elder, unique brother gives us his spirit. At new birth, he makes us the children of the Father, heirs with Christ. Galatians 4 says, you, goes on to say in verse 7, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. The Father delights in us as He delights in Christ. Do you ever feel like God doesn't delight in you? You know, I, that's pretty much a daily feeling for me. 
I get up in the morning. This is going to be a great day. God's going to get so much glory today. And I blow it five minutes into the day. And I think my flesh wants to say, God wants to have nothing to do with you today, buddy. Might as well go ahead and write this day off. You know what? God delights in you. Just as he delights in Jesus. Because you have the spirit of Jesus in you. And you, the price has been paid. The legal transaction has occurred. You are now a son of God. And he delights in you just the same way he delights in Jesus. And how much did he delight in Jesus? Jesus never sinned. Always had perfect communion with the Father. And the love within the Godhead, within the Trinity, is a love so amazing, so perfect, so unique, that we can't even comprehend it. Yet God brings us into the fold, not that we are part of the Godhead, because that's a unique relationship, but we are brought into a relationship through Christ to where we can experience the favor of God just as Christ does. What a special thing adoption is. Which brings me to my next and last point about the chronology of adoption. Letter C there in your notes. Okay, we need to understand that we were chosen before time began. Before time began. We were sealed and purchased at the cross. Yet we also need to understand this, that your adoption will be wholly completed at the second coming of Christ. The, the whole story of redemptive history, from beginning, from before beginning, <laughs> to end and after the end, has adoption weaved throughout the whole thing. That's how important adoption is. That's how important orphan care is. One more passage this morning, and it's a wonderful one. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Romans chapter 8, and verse 14, and following. It says this, For all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So pay attention to a couple of this verse. I mean, we could preach on this passage for weeks. I'm not going to. I am coming to a conclusion here. But a couple of things to notice. Number one. You received, according to this passage, past tense, the spirit of adoption. So it's done. It's secured. You're sealed. Yet, verse 22, 
Verse 23 says, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. So there's still a future aspect to this adoption as well. There's an aspect of our adoption that is still waiting to happen. The only thing I can compare it to in, in our life, and get me if I'm wrong, Deemer, but I think you, you brought Elijah home, he was yours, but you still had to finalize. There were some things you had to do to finalize the adoption, even though he was already with you. And that's kind of the way I look at it. We, we've been saved. We're, he's with us. He's drawn us to himself. We belong to him. Yet, we know that there's still something we're waiting for. You look at this world and you see hurricanes and tsunamis and you see this, this creation is groaning for something. And you know your own body and, and the struggles you have in your flesh and the weaknesses you have and the sicknesses you experience. And you say, my body is, is groaning for something. And what is creation and what is your body groaning for? You're groaning for that day when your adoption is finalized. You've been sealed. You belong to him. But there's a new body and there's a new heavens and a new earth. That beautiful passage that Margaret read. That's it. That's what's coming we can't wait for that. New creation, resurrected, glorified bodies, and our inheritance. Our inheritance. Creation and the created are longing for Eden. We're longing for Eden. We want it back. We lost it by our own sin and rebellion. But we want it back. And God has said, for my children, it's coming back. New creation, new heaven, new earth, new body. Just wait. Paul says, we can't even imagine what's in store for us. Oh, I love that. Because I can imagine some pretty cool things. I'm a pretty creative guy. I can come with a lot of things I'd like to see in heaven. And, and the Bible says, whoa, you, you, don't even, you don't even understand how great it's going to be. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Our inheritance is the universe. Our inheritance is the new earth, the new heavens, a new body. It all belongs to us. But more importantly, our, our inheritance is God. Enter into what? The joy of your master is what God tells the good and faithful servant. Our inheritance is God himself. Revelation the passage she read, the great thing about our inheritance is that we're with God. The reason there's no more tears is that we're with God. That's our inheritance. Yes, new body, new creation. And God, it's that simple. That's it. Do you get a picture of the glory of adoption? <laughs> what a glorious thing adoption is. So let me kind of conclude with this. Go to your second point number two there on your notes we cannot be a church that cares for orphans if we do not fully understand our place in the gospel story that was number one but here's number two if we do fully understand our place in the gospel story then we cannot help but be a church that cares for orphans if we truly believe it and embrace it that yes god did these things for me we can't help that's true religion. Because the gospel has transformed us. And we can't help but go out and care for those in need. That is what happens in a heart that understands 
the gospel. It changes everything. It enables everything. 1 John 4, 19, what does it say? We love because what? He first loved us. If you love because you saw stats and you saw pictures and you saw videos and that's what's motivating you to love orphans, it is insufficient. The only thing that will motivate you to love is if you understand how much he first loved us. That's what enables adoption. That's what makes it possible. It's not easy. Let me just close with a few different things. How does, how does an understanding of the gospel affect the way we view adoption? Well, I can, think of a, I can think of a lot of things, but these are just the ones that God brought to my mind late last night as I was trying to work on the conclusion to this message. Our understanding of God's unconditional choosing of us should cause our love for orphans to be unconditional. Transcending any of our biases any bias, racial bias, any bias, transcending any of our biases, predispositions, or preferences. Think about Russell Moore's story. That should change the way we look at adoption. We are not going shopping for children. That's not what God did. God didn't look down the corridor of time and say, hey, you know, I really like Dee Bryson. He's a good guy. Let's put him in. Oh, I really like Francis. Yeah. All right. He didn't go shopping for orphans. He chose despicable rebels. It should change the way we view adoption. It's affecting me because I have my preferences. I have my preferences as we've gone through safe families as well. And God's already beginning to affect those preferences. Let him. Let him. What else should it change? How else should this understanding of the gospel affect adoption? Well, our understanding of adoption by being purchased, our understanding of our being purchased by Christ should cause us to understand that orphan care requires sacrifice. And it costs a lot. And I'm not just talking about money, Amy. Because <laughs> it costs a lot too, doesn't it? It costs money, but it costs more than money. It costs a lot. It costs free time. It may cost peace in your home. It may cost you a hobby. It may cost you money. It costs a lot. It's not easy. Mark, I remember you saying something to me when y'all got involved in, in a, a adoption and, and you were hosting a child and you, you said something along the lines of, well... We weren't expecting it to all be butterflies and dandelions. You know, you kind of had this naive thought, you know, it's all going to be wonderful, and then all of a sudden it, it's not. And you, you had to brace yourself for that. It sounds great. Bring in all these children. Yes, I love children. I love children too. But sometimes children can be very unlovable, and it's going to cost you a lot. This church, I believe, is called to care for orphans. Let me give you a couple other things and we'll be done. I know I'm going long. Our understanding of adoptions, of our adoption as sons, sealed by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father, that Spirit that awaits the consummation of our adoption and our inheritance, an understanding of that 
will enable us to give up everything in this world to care for orphans. Let me explain. If we understand who we are, that we're going to inherit the earth and Mars and Saturn and the Milky Way and everything beyond that with new bodies that will never die and we're going to be with God forever. If we understand our inheritance, it makes everything in this life pale. And therefore, we should be willing to say, No! I don't need a new car. I don't need that promotion. I don't need this. I don't need that. Because I've got everything. And this world has nothing to do with it. And therefore, I'm giving up anything, God, you're calling me to give up in order to care for orphans. I'm willing to give it up. But we, we have sticky fingers and we're attached to this world and we love this world and we forget that we're getting something much greater. Why hold on to this? Why? When God's calling you to let it go so you can embrace a child. Why? You're going to inherit the earth. Get rid of cable. And support a lifelong orphan for 28 bucks a month. Take your hands off of the remote. You'll survive without seeing that TV show. That child may not survive this day. It should change everything. Who cares about a new car when we're going to inherit the earth? Who cares about a vacation when we're going to rule angels? Who cares about seeing the Grand Canyon when, you know what? We're going to get to go to Mars if we want to and see the canyons on Mars. Who cares about these things? Who cares about accumulating money when we have a treasure beyond all measure? God! What did the parable say? Jesus kingdom of God is like a man who finds treasure in a field and goes and does what? Sells everything he has and buys that field. What's the treasure? The treasure is God. Everything else compares. Sell it. I gotta have God. I gotta have something real. That all stuff, that stuff's gonna burn up. You see what I'm getting at here? When we understand this, then spending $30,000, $40,000, $50,000, $60,000 to adopt a child, spending our free time from the moment you get home to the moment you go to bed helping a child with their math homework, giving of your money sacrificially, offering after offering after offering to support adoptions, support orphanages, Whatever else God might be calling you to do, nothing. This all is, everything that you could have is nothing compared to what God can accomplish through you if we're willing to give up everything. And finally, there are dozens and dozens of more implications I could talk about here. But let me just bring us to a conclusion with this. If we fully understand our adoption, then we will understand that God gets all the glory. And that our adoption as sons was the purpose, was the purpose of our adoption as sons was to bring him glory, magnifying his grace. And if we understand that, 
We will therefore adopt and care for orphans in like manner. We will do it for the glory of God. Don't... Oh, don't view adoption as a trend. I read recently, I think it was... Um, either Brittany Simpson or Brittany whoever, Brittany Spears or Jessica Simpson, or maybe it's a combination of two, Brittany Simpson, um, that said something recently that they wanted to have a child because they really want someone who will love them unconditionally. I thought, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Got it totally reversed. We care for orphans. We raise our children. We help other families with their children for the glory of God. For God's glory alone. Not for our glory. Not for the glory of the child. Our aim is fixed on making much of Him, pointing to His work of adoptive grace. And by mirroring, but we do that by mirroring Him here on the earth. As we care for orphans. For his glory alone, soli Deo Gloria. Let's pray. And Mark, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and lead a song. I know we're late, but let's pray. Father, bring glory out of the sermon today and bring glory out of your word. Father, you don't need me for that. Thank goodness. So, God, I pray this morning that you'd bring glory out of this church. Oh, Lord, however you need to squeeze us, squeeze us, God. However you need to, whatever you need to grind us through in order to squeeze out glory from us, do it. Because if our television set gets more glory in our home than you, or if our 401K gets more of our attention than you, Goodness gracious, we need to be squeezed. So God, I pray, Lord, that you'd do a work in our hearts on this Orphan Sunday. Lord, just preparing this message as I sat there last night, not being able to go on because of the implications of the gospel. God, I just pray, Lord, that you change me first and change all of us. Whatever it is, if we need to give more to LifeSong, if we need to consider adopting, if we need to sign up for Safe Families today, if we just need to come alongside one of our families in this church that's adopting and say, what can I do? All of my possessions are yours. What do you need? God, I pray that we would do it. So God, right now we want to respond to you with our prayers and we want to respond to you with uh, the bringing of our offerings and God, we want to respond to you as we sing. So, Lord, I pray now that this time of response would bring you glory and that we'd sing these words to you and respond to the great, magnificent, glorious gospel of our adoption. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand, if you would, as Mark leads us in a closing song. We are the ones who stumbled in darkness. Just respond to the Lord.
we are the ones who stumbled in darkness we are the ones who have seen a great light seated. I want to thank you for your patience as this is a little extended service this morning, but this was an important message and we have one more important thing to do. I want to bring uh, John and Amy Evans and the family up front with me for just a moment.
and uh, as most of you know, they are adopting a girl from Russia, and just recently got the news that they're going to be making the first of three trips, three trips to Russia. This is a long process for these guys, uh, but um, it's starting to become, I think, more real now that they're actually going to be getting on a plane soon and, uh, and going to Russia. Um, John, I just, uh, if you can just maybe briefly share a little bit about uh, why are you doing what you're doing? Because um, a lot of people in the world will say that what you guys are doing is crazy. It's absolutely ridiculous. The money that's being spent, the sacrifices that are being made, the monkey wrench that's being thrown into your life because of the process and, and, and even things that will go on post-adoption. Um, uh, why are you doing this? And, and then share a little bit about how specifically we can be praying for you guys in the days to come. Thanks, you all, for the opportunity. Uh, Stephen Deemer asked me to come up this morning and share a little with you, so I, I made a few notes here. I'll be brief. I know we're running a little behind, but um, first off, I really can't, there's a part of me anyway that can't disagree with uh, the sanity of all of this because it's been, it's been quite a process. We, uh, we got started uh, officially back in January, started the process. Um, uh, it's been a lot of government red tape, a lot of money, a lot of uh, just frustration and irritation with government. Uh, they don't make it easy on you, especially the Russian government. But uh, we had the privilege of meeting uh, a young lady named Liana uh, last December for, during the Christmas holiday uh, as a result of a hosting program and, and Mark and Katie Pierce, uh, who had, had hosted her at that time. And um, uh, the, 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 whole pro- the whole program is really kind of based on or, or, or to encourage adopting older children who don't really have a chance uh, because most families aren't willing to, to uh, even consider an older child. Uh, so, uh, so they bring these kids over and let them get introduced to families and, and meet um, uh, maybe, hopefully, pr- prospective adoptive, adoptive families. So uh, we were int- introduced to Leona that way, and um, uh, like I said, we actually started to formally the adoption process in January, but God had been working with us and working on us and our hearts for probably a couple of years up to that point. I think Amy longer than, than myself, but... Uh, he brought me around, brought me around quickly, and, um, uh, you know, we're all in this thing. So, um, so just, just briefly, um, uh, like I said, it's been almost a year. We're going to leave in, in, uh, on, on this coming Friday for our first of three trips to Russia. Um, looking forward to that. What the trip will involve is, is uh, primarily um, uh, three things. We're going to meet with a court-appointed official. We won't actually be uh, in the formal court process this, this uh, trip, but we will meet with an official to kind of, um, I guess they, they call it receiving us, but we, we officially start the process in Russia now. Um, and then we have a battery of uh, physical exams and, and medical checkups and things because uh, apparently they don't trust our doctors, so they have to do our, after we've already submitted all the medical reports, we've got to do it again for them. And then, uh, and I think most importantly, we get to spend some time with Leon. We'll, we'll probably spend uh, two or three days, I hope, or at least in the evenings. We'll be able to spend some time with her and uh, catch up a little bit. Uh, by the way, she was back here this last summer, as many of you know, to, uh, to, to spend the summer with us for five weeks. So we've got a good relationship going, whether we want to keep that going, obviously. Um, so what you can pray for specifically, what we would appreciate is... Um, uh, first off, the travel. We have uh, a very, very long travel day with a couple of stops. 
Uh, we, we connect in France, and then we, we fly into St. Petersburg, Russia. Um, we need to be rested when, we, when it's go time on Monday because we've got to be, uh, as Amy says, on our game. We have to be careful about what we say. Uh, we've been coached on um, things. You obviously don't be dishonest, but you, there are things you just don't mention because they, don't, they, they can get a uh, little, little nervous about things. Um, uh, the water. You're not supposed to drink the water. I've been told don't even brush your teeth with the water because uh, you can get sick. So uh, that's, that's a lot of countries, but we need to be careful about that. Uh, and basically just that it's a smooth process and that uh, God has laid all the groundwork, which I know he has, and that he just kind of walks us through what needs to happen and that uh, everything goes, goes smoothly and, and that we don't mess anything up, I guess. Um, and then lastly, the, the funds. Uh, you, you talked a little bit this morning about uh, just the cost. It's enormous. Um, what they, or what we expect uh, to spend when this is all said and done is about between forty-eight to fifty thousand um, dollars. We, when we went into this in, early in the year, we both talked and we prayed over it, and, and we realized, you know, God is telling us to do this. He's opened up all the doors. He's he's pointing us in, in this direction, so we can't not do it. But man, we don't have that kind of money. We don't we don't know where it's going to come from. We've done some fundraisers, which many of you have helped us with, and thank you so much for that. Over the past year, we've. Uh, uh, had a lot of generous gifts from friends and family. Um, um, we've, you know, emptied our own savings accounts. Obviously, we've 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 uh, done a lot. We've been able to raise thus far uh, just right at fifteen thousand dollars. Praise God for that. It's a lot of money. Um, I just thank you all for that. It's been a real blessing. To see the body come together. Sorry. Uh, with that said, fifteen thousand dollars is a lot, but we've got about you know somewhere around thirty-five grand still to go. We need uh, <clears throat> fasten your seatbelts. We need seventeen five uh, within just a few weeks of coming back to finish paying the agency, and then we've got the two more trips, and those trips can be you know five ten thousand apiece, depending on what you have to do and, and so forth. So. At any rate, uh, a lot of things to pray for. Uh, we would certainly welcome and appreciate and encourage your prayers. And uh, uh, finally, just just real quick in closing, I want to I want to uh, some Steve said up there just a moment ago in closing. Um, want to kind of reinforce. Uh, there have been a lot of people who've come to Amy and I uh, throughout this process and say, "Man, you guys are just so great. Your, your hearts are so so wonderful." And and Man, you know, just t- trying to elevate us, and, and I, I certainly appreciate the sentiment, but it's not us. Uh, and I don't want to accept any glory at all. I mean, this is this is all God has been from the beginning, and uh, <clears throat> anything that He's brought about in my heart or in Amy's heart is God. It's not us. So um, it, it's actually getting kind of hard for people to, to listen to that because I don't want to tell me there's nothing special about me. There's nothing. Uh, so to God be the glory and uh, thank you for bearing with me here thank you Um, yeah you're right you're not great (laughs) neither are we neither are we he's great he's great and he's doing a great thing through this family and they're being used as a tool as a vessel to bring glory to the name of God let us decrease and let him increase. And as Steve was talking about, 
And as you talked about a little bit, uh, this whole adoption thing, it is costly. In so many ways, the cost is high. But I think about what was the cost for God the Father in regards to our adoption in Christ, the price that was paid. It was a huge cost. I want to... um, Yeah, please. Just real quickly, in regards to the cost, that's something I skipped over in my notes here. I want, want everyone to know, and this is just a praise to God, uh, that 15000 that we've raised so far, Amy and I were doing some math last night, uh, trying to figure out, you know, planning things out and how much it's going to cost. And what we have today is within, as uh, best we can figure, about a couple hundred dollars of what we will need to complete this trip. All the things we've paid for up to now, the travel, the airfare, the hotel stay, uh, God is providing. I want to make it very clear that, that we're seeing that. God has increased my faith greatly through this. Uh, just that he's given us what we need when we need it. I heard, I heard you guys say some of the same kind of stuff as you were going through your adoption, that God's faithful, he's going he's to make a way. So I'm not worried about the money we have to raise. Um, uh, not much. <laughs> but because uh, uh, I know he's, he's going to take care of it. You know, God is, he's got everything in his hand. He's got all the resources that, that is, are needed. So it'll come. But uh, I just want to offer that praise to the Father that, that he has, he has uh, uh, given us what we need when we needed it, and I, I know that will continue. So, thank you. I want to have uh, some members of our church family come up and join us, surround this family uh, as we send them out to Russia with our love and our prayers. And we love you guys, and we are behind you 110%. All right. Let's pray together. Father, adoption means a lot. Yes, it means helping people in need and loving people. But it, as Steve reminded us this morning, it, it's so much more than that. Adoption is cosmic in nature. And you are giving John and Amy an incredible privilege to image the loving fatherhood of God, the unconditional loving fatherhood of God by going in and taking a child who many would think would not be worth much, not important, not special. And yet, at the end of the day, None of us are really all that special. (laughs) As Steve reminded us, we're all rebels. Our birth father has fangs. And we imaged that father. And yet you came and you took us and you loved us and you brought us into a family. Thank you for that, God. Lord, we do lift up the Evans as they are preparing for their trip. God, we pray that you would give them strength in these last-minute preparations. We pray that you would give them peace. We pray that you would give them safety. We pray that you would give them opportunities to glorify God even through their journeys. Lord, I I pray that you would uh, uh, bring uh, people across their path, that that they may have an opportunity even just to share a little bit about what they're doing and why and somehow give glory to your name in just those ways. And God, we pray that when they're brought before uh, doctors or, or uh, court officials or whomever, God, that you would show them what to say, that you would guide them, 
that they would give you glory even in how they respond, Lord, and give them patience and give them love and give them a, a wonderful, blessed time with Liana. And Lord, we, we, we pray for the remaining provision for the other trips to come and all the other uh, things that need to be done, financial and otherwise, Lord. We pray that you would provide those things, Lord. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church body to support them and to love them and to dig deep even, whether it be financially or emotionally or extra time spent on our knees, serving them in this way and supporting them as they move forward with this adoption. Lord, we pray for Liana, that you would give her patience. I know she is eager. <laughs> she is eager. She's always asking questions about, when can I come? Lord, give her patience. And Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to her in special ways, God, and draw her close to you and use the Evans as a, as a means of showing Christ to her, God. And I pray that this church body would be a church that would be your hands and feet, meeting needs, Lord, especially needs of the most vulnerable in our society. And let it be done in a way that when people look at us, they don't say that we're great. They say that that, that God that they're talking about is great. I want to know more about that God. Use this church body in that way. And forgive us of the errors we, sh we fall short. And if there's any of us in this room that, that, that need to do more in regards to, to orphan care, whether it is praying, giving, supporting, or even adopting ourselves, Lord, I pray that you would convict us by the Spirit even now. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be involved in the great work that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are really late. Yeah, we? we are really late. And uh, I, I, I want to say a couple things. Um, when you pick up your ch children in the back, thank those folks for staying yes. later. Um, my Explore the Bible study class downstairs, I'm going to make an executive decision and cancel that for today and give you time to meet Margaret and talk with her about safe families and learn more about that. And I'm going to make a decision to not have the opening for Rewind. <laughs> And y'all go straight to Rewind. And I apologize for how long we went. And uh, all right. And y'all are dismissed. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for coming and talking.